Hello, my name is Chris W. And um, I'm speaking to you from Vancouver, Canada. And um, yeah, qualified. Alrighty, I was just looking at my notes here that I wrote because it's kind of a weird form to speak in, right? Uh, I also belong to a 12-step program. And um, one of the things I'm aware of is if you've got rules, I don't want to make sure that I don't want to break any rules. But the one thing I like about this forum is we get to talk about why we're qualified and not have so many rules. And um, my friend, who's the producer, told me that this is a wonderful way to, especially for people that are sometimes looking for something out there in the universe or looking online and can't get any help or can't find anywhere or anyone to listen that maybe this podcast um, might help. So for me, this is a way to help somebody maybe hear that you're not alone and that um, there's a solution. Uh, we're doing this at nighttime, which um, is the second kick at the can for doing this. The first time we did it, we did it in the morning, and there was a problem with the audio. And in the morning, it was a little bit different for me to do it because I'm usually more energetic and feeling really uh, a bit more excited about doing it. And right now, it's terrible weather outside, and I've been beaten down by the day, and I'm kind of grateful that I'm back home. And... Um, and uh, it was a bit of a rough day. So, you know, one of the problems that I have with myself, as I call it, is that I have uh, what's called CBT, right? Um, I constantly am losing my um, basic perspective, right? And uh, I'm chronically losing my perspective. And so I'm uh, having to, like, get back into uh, a positive frame of mind. To do this and driving here, I was listening to and trying to get into a mode of being grateful because sometimes your day doesn't go as well as you want. Um, you can kind of uh, get stuck, right, in that frame of negative thinking. And I guess that kind of brings me to where I wanted to kind of start, right? It's like, like, why am I qualified to even do this, or why am I qualified to be um, doing this podcast, right? Um, I've got some children in my life, right? And I was having this weird conversation with my kid the other day, my oldest son. And he was telling me that, um, he's like, Dad, you know, do you ever, like, he, did, he just had a, just to put it in context, he just got his report card and it wasn't very good, right? And uh, he's like, Dad, like, you know what? I just, I just, I, do you ever feel like you just want to say fuck it? And you just, like, I just don't care. And he goes, I'm really scared of that feeling that I just, like, fuck, I just don't care. And uh, it was funny because it kind of, the question struck me as, you know, uh, like, are you kidding me? Of course I get that. But then another way was, like, gratitude because I was like, wow, it's pretty cool that he's opening up to me like that because I never possibly could have that conversation with my parents. Uh, in fact, I sometimes, you know, I can't even, even, even after being in the, uh, in the program for a little while, I still can't have that conversation with my parents. They don't get it, right? Um, but I remember lying in bed as a kid around his age and feeling so terribly bad and feeling so terribly bad about myself. And 
having such negative ideas about why I was a loser and why I, you know, didn't belong. And, you know, part of the time was blaming the people around me because they were different. Part of it was blaming myself, you know, just constantly never settled, constantly never really feeling very good. Very few glimpses of happiness. And I mean, really, I had a pretty good childhood, right? We grew up in a house in Britain and, um, partly in Britain and partly in Canada and um, and uh, I mean not starving not beaten not you know definitely a lot of addiction in my family but not from my direct parents my mom's definitely a dry drunk but you know I had a lot of definitely some negativity but nothing abnormal that a normal kid wouldn't experience except for this really horrible pain that I had inside of my heart and I never really um, understood why and I never really understood. And that, of course, I just kept reinforcing my feelings, right? I mean, you know, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for me because, um, you know, if I think back at that cycle of feeling bad, having no confidence, not feeling like I should even try, saying fuck it, back to the fuck it button that my son was talking about, so not putting any effort in, then getting bad marks or not doing so good at school and then turning around and you know, reinforcing why I'm a loser because I've just, you know, I haven't passed the class or graduated. And really, I'm not stupid. I'm a bright guy. And, um, you know, but it was just that constant feeling of like, you know, trying to avoid going to school so I wouldn't have to write a test. And then knowing it was going to come back to haunt me, but somehow thinking I'd dodge the bullet, you know. Um, that's how I've lived my life, largely. You know, like really, I've always kind of, tried to figure out how to take the shortcuts and I've always tried to figure out how to um, you know what I figured was that to get to the fastest place possible to be happy and when I was a kid I guess I had the wrong ideas about you know my my parents weren't super well off or super successful um, but they constantly worked hard and made a good living and we definitely like they were business people and um, they made some emotional decisions that cost them their business, uh, like moving countries. Uh, and part of the reason was because I decided that I needed a geographical change when I was a teenager in England and was like, you know what, I don't want to stay here in this country. I don't belong. I hate it here. I need to go back because I feel like I'm Canadian. And um, so we left to England, or I left England, flew all the way back to uh, Canada, lived with my aunt. And within six months, I'm know, back in with a bad crew of kids and um, feeling like I don't belong because of now I've, you know, now I've got a British accent and now I feel English, you know, so like you go from one place to another and the only thing that really hasn't changed is me, right? And I, but I just didn't get that and I never understood that. I never, I ne and I, I never understood any of those concepts um, and I would never accept responsibility because in my mind, um, the secret to happiness was wealth and the secret to uh, myself and the secret to me fulfilling my whole was putting myself first. Um, I call it even, I call it like I was the original Eminem, you know, like Eminem is an end of like a rap singer. It's, you know, me and more, right? That's what it came down to was, it was all about me and all about getting more, right? And, uh, and, uh, and so in, high school or when I was younger and in grade school and in the called secondary school in England, my 
I equated wealth and getting ahead and making money as the solution to success and how people viewed me as successful. And I, you know, I was the guy that I, um, that, you know, thought it was cool to be bad. I thought it was cool to be, uh, you know, I don't even want to really go down this path, to be honest, because I don't even want to talk about this anymore, but, um, You know, it's like I don't want to sound. I just don't. I don't know if I want to go back to this feeling. And I'm, I, I know I've talked to. I don't know if I can even say the producer's name. But, um, I imagine I probably can. But you know, like this even gets me um, because I get excited by what I did do, and it gets me back into feeling like I accomplished something, and it gets me into feeling like I did something with my life when I did really nothing more except for get involved with crime at a really young age. And practiced and became good at it, and, um, and I don't even want it. Like you know, I learned so much from that kind of business, and I learned so much so young um, that I can't say that it was all bad. And I guess that's what I feel bad about is because when I do talk about it, and especially when I'm sitting in the rooms of a 12-step program, I really want to make sure that I'm not glamorizing or sensationalizing or making it sound better than it actually was, but in all honesty, there was a lot of really bizarre and interesting and cool things to the life I led, right? There was a lot of risk-taking and a lot of things that made me feel for once in my life like I could accomplish something, like I got good at something, and uh, I got res I earned respect, I had respect. I was, you know, in a high school, and a secondary school, I was buying and selling stolen property, I was you know, selling, it was started off with, you know, we were selling this, this, it was like almost like a glue-like product in England. And uh, we called it, you know, it was literally like glue, but we, I called it buzzed, right? And I put a B on the bottle and that was like, you know, um, literally with this, like I got a little stencil and I remember doing this. I just remember this a little while ago. I actually, we got a stencil with a B and it was like liquid paper and I would liquid paper the top of it with this B and, uh, and, uh, and then it was a BZ and then it was a BZ1 and it was like, it, it, just to give people the idea that I was changing the formula, but really I was just changing glue, right? So everybody was and getting high was getting maybe a little bit of a different buzz or the smell was a little bit different but I was figuring you know what I mean I was like wow I'm branding I'm marketing right like you know and I've continued all the way through my drug career like I would you know I came to British Columbia and after growing up in Saskatchewan and um, I was you know not doing well at school I was the kid in the parking lot that was like you know what I'm selling pot and uh, everybody that I knew that was dealing pot in the playground was like getting, you know, a pot from the guys that were older and they were taking it and they were mixing it with oregano and they were mixing it with other kinds of whatever else they could find in mom's dried out spice cabinet and then they were selling it to the younger kids, right? And I was like, that's completely opposite of what we should be doing. We should actually be learning how to do this better and, and uh, you know, and I, I saw the writing on the wall so I started, you know, growing and producing at a small young age and um, um, I was growing these little dwarf plants and you know getting information from wherever I could find it there was no internet at the time and I was resourceful and I talked to like guys that were older stoners and you know and slowly um, and 
that wasn't even that slow, but in the eyes of a, you know, in the, in the mind of a kid, it was like, a, you know, it took me like a year and a half to two years to really get a good product, right? But then that was it. I was, I was actually growing in a in, in my parents' crawl space, and um, and from there, I was like, then I had three or four guys doing it, and you know, in their crawl spaces because the parent, you know, your parents never find out. It was just, it was, it's crazy, and. Uh, we just started our own little, you know, and here I am making like money hand over fist and at the same time being told by my counselors at school that I'm going to amount to nothing. And uh, there was this big hypocrisy. And um, of course, the whole time my ego and my greed is fueling my obsession with myself, thinking that I'm, you know, I'm better than everybody else because, you know, these guys are studying hard and going to school. I want to go to university and become doctors. I'm like, what a bunch of losers. Like, I'm making, I don't want to work nine to five. I don't want to work at Wolco. I don't want to push cards around. Um, you know, even when I got a job, because I was like, I had to actually figure out a way of covering up how I had so much money. So I went and got a job at this local gas station, which my buddy told me was really cool to work at, right? So I go in there and I get this job, and, you know, and immediately I see the play. Right, it's 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 this little gas station. It's on this main street in this prairie town called Saskatoon, and um, it's the main street that connects the north side of the city to the south side of the city. And it's called Eighth Street. And at the end of Eighth Street is this roundabout. So, you know, back to the, the cruising days, right? People would drive their cars up and down Eighth Street. And that's where all the bars were, and that, it was kind of like the cruising strip. But at the very end of it was this roundabout where the gas station was. I worked at, and uh, right off the bat. Uh, within a short period of time, people figured out that, hey, if anybody knows where all the parties are, uh, it's going to be this guy named Chris, right, that worked at this gas station. So I made sure I worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights because I had people pulling in to get information. And of course, if they need information, they're also going to a party that I've also been told is happening. And um, again, this is before cell phones and social media, so we didn't, you weren't able to communicate. And once you're out of the house, how are you going to like, you know, so kids would phone me at the gas station and say, what's going on? And I wouldn't tell them anything. I'd say, hey, come on in and talk to me. Because in no time at all, I would, you know, I had my trunk filled with booze and I had gotten bootlegged and I was selling pot. And, um, and I was selling acid. And I was, you know, I was like a one-stop drugstore and everyone would come to me. And so I, the back parking lot would be packed with my clients. And I was making like, it was insane how much money I would pull in on the weekend. And then I would be listening to a teacher counselor tell me that, you know, you're nothing in here. You know, I probably pulled in more in the weekend than he pulled in in probably a month or, uh, you know, I mean, these guys have to work summer jobs to make And I hate to be arrogant, but I was just like, I, it was just crazy how, how, and, and that fueled my addiction because I never actually thought I was an addict. Here's the, here's the funny thing. I thought that because I sold, people who, you know, and we were, it was the party, and that, you know, drinking was an adult, grown-up thing to do, and um, I never, ever actually thought I was an addict, and I never thought I was actually an addict all the way up until I was being told by my, you know, my, you know, I, I, don't, I should actually clarify this, I knew I was an addict, I knew I had a problem, but I was able to hide it, and I could justify not being an addict because I sold it. So in that feeling that I had when I was a kid, that never went away. But because I was now somebody on the street, and I was somebody like literally like functioning as a, 
as a, as a young person in society, living in kind of my own way, I thought I had it all together. And I thought that my way was the right way. And who could tell me I wasn't, right? Nobody could tell me I was doing the wrong thing. I got kicked out of my house uh, because my parents started to figure it out. And I started to get in trouble with the law, like they were starting to look into some of my activities. Um, but I was still able to not get busted. Like it was bizarre. I just always seemed to be able to pull, like to get out of trouble somehow. Um, one time I was like sitting in a, um, one time I was sitting in a, um, and I got called at like, I got picked up by the police really late at the night and it was in this, in this town, Saskatoon, it was super, super late and I got picked up and I got, um, taken into the police station and I knew what it was for right off the bat. And of course, my parents uh, came in as well, and I had—they had accused me of, uh, you know, what I had done, right? And what we had done was that we 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 had gotten a semi-trailer and we ripped off a motorcycle dealership, um, and we uh, literally we cut the fence in the day, we peeled the fence, and then we loaded up these motorbikes um, in the back of the semi-trailer, right? And um, and little did we know it at the time, like. Remember beta VHS? Well, anyways, I'm sitting there and I'm lying through my teeth, and I've got my mom convinced that I did not do it right, and she is like losing her mind on the officers. And it's the wrong kid, and you don't know, and they're, they're always picking on me, and blah 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 blah. And in walks this other cop with the TV on this um, stand or whatever, right? And um, and he pulls up this tape out of this uh, case. And, and uh, there's this black and white footage of, you know, me telling this kid to, you know, put the Hondas in the front and I want the Yamahas at the side and, you know, blah, 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 because we'd already sold them. Like, this guy, I mean, the guy, the guy it was an order. We were told that we were going to do this and how much money we were going to make and do we have the balls to do it. And I was like, yeah, dude, we're going to do it, right? And we did it. And anyways, I, you know, I just remember that kind of damage being called, like, you know, that pain that I put my parents through, right? I mean, constantly constantly in trouble right at school like you know just you know them walking in at lunchtime and i've got seven or eight kids in the kitchen and they're all like you know we're all and i mean what's normal about that you're all smoking like you're sitting around we're all hot like an ash right and that's like but still no actual i'm so selfish no qualms and so i got a phone call one day and and uh i was just scraping through grade 12 i got a phone call from these guys in Columbia on the coast and they're like hey come on out here come on out here and teach these guys how to grow because man if you bring what you know up here you're going to make a ton of money and things were going so bad for me in Saskatoon I was like you know what fuck it there's the fucking button I'm like I'm going so I waited till the day after graduation because I didn't even graduate but all my friends did and uh, you know so there's like you know something I've always carried in my life as well I never actually finished school but I was able to get into university later on. I, I'll tell you that story one day. But um, so here, I'm off to Vancouver I go, and um, uh, then I well, boom, I started doing you know, like a geographical change. I'm gonna be brand new, but back into this, you know, back into this business, right? Full intentions of like, you know, sitting down with these guys and full intentions of like, like just the arrogance. What can I do in this city? And not even understanding what was going on in the city, and. Uh, 
away it went, right? Here I go again, right? And I'm like, you know, in a new city with what I've learned. You know, and it's kind of bizarre because they talk about, okay, what, how did you learn your education, right? I learned my education young, doing it, you know, in criminal. And they talk about, like, these kids learning. I mean, I remember going to juvie, and I learned so much in juvie about, you know, how to do other criminal things, right? It's just like, I don't know if rehabilitation is, yeah, is the right way for our society to look at crime, you know? I don't know. Anyways, um, I don't know where I'm going with this except for the fact that, you know what, I mean, this continued on until I was basically 40 years old, and um, and it got worse and worse and worse, and I mean by worse is that I made more and more money, I became more and more successful in the, in, in the, in the business, um, and I went to places I never thought I would go, like, I mean, I remember going on trips to places that I remember getting off the plane and thinking, you know what, I, I am going to, if I survive this trip, if I don't get, like, I remember thinking, I'm going to get clipped. Like, I am going to get killed here. And no one is going to know where I am because we had no, like, you know, I remember, I, mean, I was in Mexico, got off the plane, and I was like, like, you know, kids and a wife, and I'm like, I had to go down. Uh, there was some problems down there that you know we had gotten involved in because we were teaching these guys how to do things. And we got down there, and I thought, you know what, if this doesn't go well, I'm not coming back. And I had no choice but to go, and I had no choice but to go. And I remember that feeling. It's just like, but still, you know, you know, they're notching it up. When I got back to Canada, it's like a, a you know, a a, a a notch on my belt. Like, if I would have died on that trip, my kids would have grown up without a dad. You know, like, that's like a pretty crazy thing, right? I can remember the first time walking through, you know, um, I can remember one of my close friends, and we were going to dig up money in this field, in this, like, this tree plantation, like where he sold these trees in his property, and uh, uh, all, most of our group had been busted, and we were going uh, a couple of weeks later, because we didn't trust each other, uh, you know, it's funny how you, know, you call them friends, but it's like you're friends in the business, and as soon as the business has gone bad, you're not friends at all, you're like, you don't trust them at all, and I can remember walking to dig up money with shovels, and I was thinking, you know what? He's carrying. I'm gonna get. He's gonna. I'm gonna. Get, I'm gonna take a bullet block in the head, right? And I'm still thinking that I'm that, that that this business. You know, by now I want to get out, but you know what? I still couldn't. And it was just funny how I got myself into this like hell, right? And it was all because I could not stop. I built my life around music because that was the only way I got it. Like the only way I got any esteem is the only way I got any gratification from my life was the fact that I became really, really good at being a bad And, uh, and uh, all based on the facts. For some reason, uh, like, you know, I, I often, I don't think about this much anymore, but why am I wired differently? And maybe this is the same question you ask yourself, right? Like, why are you wired differently? Why do we wake up sometimes and, like, I don't feel very good? You know, why do I wake up in the morning and feel depressed? Why do I wake up in the morning and I'm the one who's telling myself all of the things that I wouldn't even tell someone, you know, that I don't like? 
But yet, it's okay for me to tell myself that, you know what, what are you doing? You're a loser. Why do you think you can do this? Why are you, you know, why why would you think that you deserve this? Why would you, you know, why no one's going to lie? You know, just this crazy stuff that goes on in my head that um, isn't good to tell yourself. And now I know it's not good, but I didn't know that back then. And I would spend days and, like, angry and, you know, uh, you know, just pissed off and, you know, and, but, you know, money like crazy, like financially, I could never even, if I had the money I have now, uh, you know, I don't, I know, I don't have much money now, but I'm in a business right now, where I don't have a whole heck of a lot of disposable income, right? And I've never worked in this business for a couple of years now, and it's like, you know, financially, it's, I'm definitely not in the same position, but if I had that cash I had, you know, back then, now, it's like, uh, you know, my it's funny because my ex thinks that I buried money all over the city, right? So, asking my boys, uh, when they go back after visitation, and, you know, dad's got excessive amounts of cash that looks like it's got, you know, covered in dirt or anything like that. Because she's always been convinced that uh, I've got stashes of cash buried around the city, right? And uh, I don't. So, um, but what was funny was is that, you know, um, just going to the places that I never thought I would go, right? And um, just because of this fucking crazy lifestyle that I ended up getting. And I don't know if I necessarily chose it, but at some point in time I did choose it. And I also chose many times not to get out of it because I had fear of getting out of it. And I had fear of losing my friends and the people that I knew. I had fear of not being able to, like, you know, the concept of me not ever being drink or use drugs again I couldn't imagine that I couldn't imagine I am by this point in time I was having no fun in my life right I got to the point you know that I was using constantly by myself and drinking every day you know with my partners but then I would still go home and continue to drink by myself I wasn't going out to bars and partying you know like a party like it began I was miserable and lonely and up all night on the computer right that's what my life is I even bought a condo, one out, one condo to work out of, and one condo that was right that I could walk across to, and that was right next to a bar. And I could park my car vehicle underneath, and I could walk across to this bar, and I wouldn't have to like I could sit there and shit faced all night and get drugs dropped off to me by someone who worked for me, and I would not have to leave. I could I could be there for days getting wasted, and uh, and I did. You know, I really, really did. And the one thing that kept me alive, to be honest, it sounds funny, was soccer. Because I coached these little kids in soccer. And it was the one thing that every week during this dark, dark period of time um, that um, I was able to like actually stay alive for it was like, the fact that I had to get to the soccer practice and teach these kids twice a week how to kick this ball. And so if I was, you know, Sunday night starting you know, starting off my ritual, I knew that Tuesday at 5 p.m. I had to be, you know, coming out or starting to get, you know, sober because I needed to go out to deal with these kids. And uh, somehow I always made it to those practices because partly it was because I'd seen my own kids and partly because DMA was my only connection to humanity at this point in time. I had. My partners had gotten busted, and one in another country, and um, 
that I was going to get extradited, and my other partner got caught in the United States, and he was already, and they were, you know, he was already incarcerated, and they were trying to extradite me, and I was like, immediately isolated even more, because when you're hot in the business, and you're, you know, what we call marked, I had no uh, friends, right? Nobody wants to talk to me, my phone is tapped or wired. Um, I'm being, I was probably under surveillance, which I had been for a while, but at the time, everybody no one knew that. But now no, no, I'm like a hot potato. Nobody wants to talk to me. No one will meet me. No one will talk to me. All my friends are in the drug business. So now I've got a ton of money in a safe and a ton of drugs, and I've got nobody to talk to except for a soccer practice. And I lived like that, and my lawyer, of course, because I was paying. And I was the dealer. So... You know what, what? And I couldn't even sell my product. Like I could, I could not even unload my product. So I had a, a, a fucking safe filled with cocaine, and I couldn't do anything with it except snort it. And I sat there, and I used to have this guy come by, and he used to, my, my deal was go and he used to, you know, cook it for me, so I because I couldn't, I couldn't snort like this time because I blew on my nostril. And so now I was, and I always remember driving down the street in some of the roughest parts of town here, and. The downtown side, and I remember looking at the people on the street and going, "Those people are fucked because they're smoking crack." And and I would never do that because you know I'm better than them because I snort only the best. And uh, you know I would never resort to doing that. Like these people are fucking addicts, and here I am. No time at all later because now my nose is completely blown out and I can't get any effect from it. Now I'm smoking. And. Uh, there we go. There's another little barrier that I've crossed as much as my disease progresses, right? And, um, you know, same feelings. Of, you know, like feelings are now even worse because now I've just got this aching hole inside of me. I've got, you know, I'm living in completely isolated and um, I, I was suicidal. You know, I really was. I can remember lying there in the middle of the night looking up at the ceiling and I was. I don't know where I came out of it, but the bed was covered in puke. And I remember um, asking God and saying, God, I just said, you know what? I changed my life. Like, if this is it, if this is what it's amounted to, if this is what you've had planned for me, and I'm like, just fucking end this. Take it, like, take it, just end it. Or find me a solution. Like, find something, you know, give me something. And I don't remember what happened, but I remember, like, sometime later, my phone ringing beside my head over and over and over again, like that phone call that won't stop, right? And I looked and searched for the phone, and uh, it was my sister, and she's at this recovery house uh, that I had mentioned to her a couple of weeks before, telling her that, you know, that I want to go in. To, uh, if I ever did go into recovery, I would go to this place in, in this local town, right? This town called New West Memphis. It's like, no, I want to go. Right? If I ever did have to go in, this place is hardcore. I will, I will go there. And uh, but I don't need help. So you know, but she must have seen it as it was a cry for help because I literally was desperate by this point in time. And maybe that's where I and I that's where I needed to be at that point in time because I never would have listened. I never I, that's where I needed to be. I needed to be so unhappy and so suicidal and so um, desperate and lonely. You know, like lonely, right? Like just lonely. Like nobody 
to just, you know, because nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to, like, you know. That's another benefit of the 12 step program. You know, that one, I have bad feelings and stuff, I've got a great group of people to talk to, you know, because I'm there when they need to talk. And that's a big difference, right? But anyways, to cut a long story short, I ended up going into this recovery house and um, I had this, I just, I, I wasn't even sure I was going to stay. I was doing it because my, you know, um, I, just to backtrack a bit, I basically, when my partners got busted, I, my lawyer had told me that I had to go into this place. And I kind of refused. And, but I was sitting with him at the time and it was like, he said, like, we've got to get you in. And I had spoken with my sister, you know, over this phone call. And when she had phoned me recovery, I was like, I told her to fuck off. And that was all good. And then I don't need to. Like, how dare you interfere? You know, here I am, like, praying that I can afford to take me and just end my life. Because I was too much of a coward to actually do it. Commit suicide. So I just thought, take me. It's so much easier. Um, you know, die a martyr. But, but, and so I ended up going into this recovery house. And anyways, this recovery house... Uh, was filled with people that I, a couple people that I knew in the business before, and uh, and uh, you know what, they were clean and their lives were better, right? And I remember talking to this one guy named Boss Man. He's dead now, but he died clean, and he was, uh, you know, in the local chapter of the motorcycle gang here. And he, rem I remember talking to him for the first time, and I remember just because I trusted him, because it's like, okay, he knew where I was from, and I knew where he was from, but it would be years since I'd heard about this guy, and he was telling me all of these things that I could have, that I could relate to what he was saying, right, and he was telling me, like, just come in here and give yourself a break, like, you look exhausted, like, like, what are you doing, like, what is, you know, and he knew exactly where my life had been, and I started to, I told him what had happened, my partner's getting busted, and I told him what had happened, and he's like, yeah, 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 like, you know, I get it, but just come in here and like just, you know, things will work out. Like, give yourself a break. Just give yourself a break from yourself. And when he said that, I was, I don't know what triggered that little, that little, little moment in my brain, but it was like that little, just give yourself a break from yourself. And I was like, you know what? And, and, and I still walked out of that place that day and I said, I got to go home. And I went home and of course I used everything that I could get my hands on. And here I was again, 4.30 in the morning, like, lived on my tree and I remember crying and sobbing and sobbing and I remember phoning the recovery house and saying, yeah, you know what, I want to come along. And um, I remember deciding at that moment in time I was going to go into the, the recovery house. And of course, part of me was like, I'm also going to save my ass because now I'm not going to get extradited. So that was kind of like, yeah, I want something different. I'm really desperate. I need to get, you know, but, it, you know, the reality was here I am again, that little part of me like, oh, but this is going to work out fine because I'm going to be, this is my shortcut to not having to go, you know, and deal with my legal problems. But while I was there, um, in a really short period of time, I got really clear on the fact that there were these guys. And what it was, these guys kept coming back to the house and it was Christmas time. Right, my clean day is like coming up pretty quick here. It's December 23rd, right? So I'm seven years clean on uh, this coming uh, December 23rd, and uh, it was really hard going to recovery house on December 23rd because it was snowing and it was crazy and Christmassy, and I knew I wasn't going to be going downtown to hang out with my boys um, and my ex, which was like a Christmas tradition. But I couldn't even get outside of the house. I was, I just knew I was so ripped. There's no way I was going to get downtown, 
anything. I know I was going to be able to function publicly. And uh, and I can remember, and so I'm in this house, and I remember, like, okay, I woke up the next day, and I started to feel a little clearer, and, you know, and in this house, they used to take away your clothes, right? Because they were worried about bed bugs and guys coming off the street. That wasn't my story, but still, I had to submit all my clothes. And, um, and they gave me, you know, I, I had some underwear that I brought and some socks, but I've been in these things now for like, you know, well over a day, right? And uh, it's Christmas, so it's busy, and I'm waiting for somebody to do my laundry because they wanted you to do nothing when you first went in, right? You were on restrictions, so you did nothing but eat, and, um, you know, they treated you like a king. They wanted you to be, you know, feel like you were special. So it was like you were called the new guy. The new guy got everything, right? Like, just like, you know, and um, just like in the rooms, right, where you're like the newcomer's the most important person in the room, while the new guy at the recovery house was the most important guy. And so they knew I was just fresh in there, and I was away from my family. And they really, you know, but I was still waiting for my flipping laundry. And um, so... I decided that later, like, you know what, I, I saw these guys coming back and we had this group session and these old guys were coming back and they were talking. Some of them were hardcore bikers, some guys were lawyers, like, but every one of them had the same kind of happiness and was like looking forward to Christmas. They'd all had clean time and they were all, but they all were just like me, right? They were, you know, they completely thought that I was slimy and felt, you know, their stories were fascinating, right? And I was like, okay, you know what, this is. This is, I'm curious, like, like the what they're so, these guys are happy. They just, you know, and the house was filled with energy and happiness. Anyways, I'm like, you know what? I mean, something came up with spirituality and praying. And I was like, you know what? And I was reading the literature and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this program 100%. I'm just going to try this to do everything possible to, to, to see if this works for me. And, uh, and believe me, I tried everything else. That's a different story, but I tried psychologists and everything else but anyways so I, I, I went upstairs and there's the very top of this old heritage house called the loft and I got on my knees and I prayed and I just remember having this conversation with God about like telling I just said I remember saying like what I just feel stupid this feels awkward this feels when I'm doing this because I want I want to connect with you and I I don't know if this is going to work for me but if you're there and you're listening you know like you know, show me a sign, you know, whatever, right? And, and you know, nothing. And I remember getting up, and, and, but I felt good. Like, I felt relief, right? And uh, so anyways, I, 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 uh, I go about my day, and, you know, a little later on in the day, now it's the afternoon, and I'm cruising around the house still, and I'm just like, geez, you know what? Like this, oh, I wonder if we've done my laundry. So I go back upstairs, and, um, you know, they're supposed to put my laundry on the bed, right? Not there. So they haven't done it. They're busy and whatever. But now I'm getting a little bit like a block, right? So I'm just like, I kind of made a joke to myself. But I remember thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to ask God, right? And so I got down on my knees and I said to, I said to God, well, I can't pray. And I'm like, okay, God, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I need fresh underwear and fresh socks. And, you know, uh, you know, let's see how good you are. And, and, you know, and I was just joking around. I said, you know what? I just started checking in. I didn't think anything of it, but just as I was ending off my prayer, boom, the door to the loft swung open, and cook, 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 up comes this guy named Chromeo. Um, we used to call him Romeo, but we call him Chromeo, right? And uh, he came in, and he goes over, he's a really happy guy or whatever, right? And he goes over to the other bed, he was sharing the loft, and there were four guys up in this loft, and he goes over to his bed, and he's got all these presents, and 
what had been happening is, is that people, like alumni guys and whatever, people were dropping my presents all day long. And uh, so he goes over to this bed and he starts ripping over Christmas presents. And he rips open his Christmas presents and he looks inside and there's a pair of socks. And he looks at him and he's like, oh, more socks. I already got socks. And he takes them and he throws them over to me. I gosh first. I can't remember, but I think it was socks first. And I was, by this time, I'm like, my mouth was open and my jaw I was fucking floored, right? I was just like, no way. And I got on my knees and I was like welling up and like this guy's looking at me and then but he's so self-obsessed he doesn't give a shit he starts ripping over the next present and then he looks at it and I think that was gosh and he's like oh Tommy Hilfiger gosh and he flipping throws them at me he's like hey buddy you probably need gosh don't you and he throws them at me and I'm like I was just I put, I put my hands together and I'm like God I'm in so I thought you know what I'm in I don't need any more signs like that is like what do you call that coincidence or you know we call it god shots in the program because you know i believe in the program our jobs to feel good like i believe the universe works and we're made up of trillions of little cells that are positively charged and negatively charged and when we're in addiction i was in addiction i was negatively charged and i kept attracting negative stuff in my life like negative relationships i was like you know, bad people do bad things, and bad people do bad things because they attract bad energy. And I firmly believe that now. And, um, and I, but I believe the opposite. That the, like the recovery program and what I learned in that house, which was a 12-step recovery program, taught me the tools to help me feel much better than I've ever had in my life. And I'm going to say that that's not perfect because, you know, even today I wake up and I'm like, I'm not feeling 100%. Uh, you know, physically, and I wake up and I feel like fear, right? I feel like, like, fuck everything and run, or false evidence appearing real, which is, you know, acronyms that we use in this area for fear, right? And that's, like, I'm fearing that I'm going to lose all my money in this business. I'm fearing that, you know, what I'm going to run out of money. I'm fearing that I'm going to be a failure. I'm fearing that, you know, what I'm doing right now, I'm going to get laughed at. I'm fearing, like, so much stuff. Um, that runs through my head in a second, and I'm like, almost sometimes paralyzed by it. And I have to like take a deep breath and start pulling tools out of this this imaginative toolbox, which um, the twelve steps of recovery have given me, right? And um, and and I need to start applying these like principles, right? Because um, you know I can easily get caught up in self obsession, right? I can easily get caught up in my past. And I feel uh, a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And, uh, you know, I can easily get caught up in the future. And I'm thinking of the future and I've got fear, right? That I'm going to fail. And, you know, all the things that I just mentioned. And I can also get caught up in it. And if I think about those two things and, and where I am, and that doesn't make me feel very good in the moment. So in the moment, I'm like not happy with my life. I'm angry that I've let, you know, that I've gotten myself in this situation. I'm un you know, I'm just, it's, like it's not good, right? And what I have to do is get myself into the moment and you know, think if I'm you know, like the past, I need to have acceptance. Right? I need to like there's my my tool I've been taught. Okay, you know what? If you're feeling that way about your past, attach acceptance. Like it's over. There's nothing I can do with it. Right? Okay, and then the next thing is like if I'm I'm futurizing or fantasizing 
I need to, uh, you know, I need to attach faith and live in them, you know, and live like and concentrate on my actions, not the outcome. But really have faith, which is the other acronym. It's just like fear ain't in this house, man. Like it's not here. Don't waste my time on it because it doesn't matter. If it fails, it fails. I just have to be, do the best I can. Right? I heard something lately. Someone told me that you know doubt kills more dreams than failure ever has, and uh, that's something that's stuck with me a long couple of days, right? And uh, if I'm able to think about those kinds of concepts, and, and I'm able to think about the moment and live in the moment and be grateful and be happy and get to that place of acceptance and gratitude, I can actually take a deep breath and be okay with where I'm at. And like those are three simple tools that I never had a concept of when I was in addiction. And, uh, and 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 the ability to apply those tools. Like, like, hey, these things work. If someone would have told me that in my ego and my arrogance, um, I would be like, fuck you. Right? Fuck off. Like, I needed to be in a place where I was so beaten and so, like, I was giving up on my way, on my ideas. I was so done with how I was thinking and where it had gotten me. You know, like money coming out of my yin yang, and I'm the most miserable, lonely fucking person on earth, and all I want to do is die. You know, like, I don't get it, you know. I, and I just thought that like, money was going to buy me happiness and respect and success, and, and maybe those things are true. I still think that I want to be successful, like financially successful. That's why I started a small business, just to prove to myself that I actually could do it, for one. Uh, for two is I didn't want to go to my grave not challenging myself and I was going what if um, and three is I want to be financially successful like I want money in my life right because I had it before so I just want to be able to enjoy it this time and actually you know not I mean I just couldn't could we had a warehouse me and my partners we had a warehouse filled with shit we had skidoos we had like somebody would owe us money and they couldn't pay us we would take um, my one partner was an enforcer, so we would take what they had, right? Okay, well, you know, and we would take it at rock bottom prices. Oh, you got a truck? You just paid fifty grand for it. Okay, well, you know what? You're going to keep making payments, but we're taking it, and that to us is worth uh, seven. You know, I mean, we would just absolutely like steal and you know cause damage to people, like hurt people because we could. And uh, there was three of us in the city, and. Uh, I figured out that, you know what, um, I knew that at this time there were these things called Blackberries that were kind of pre-smartphones, right? And these things came out of the market in Vancouver and, and around the world. They were the number one device to use. They still exist, but I don't know, they're, they're not even, you don't even see them for sale anymore in Canada. But they, these things were the number one thing for encryption. I figured out that, hey, you know what, if anybody wants to do business with us, they need to be on it. So I got really involved in phone security. And, and it being able to message and communicate uh, on with secrecy. And uh, here we are in this crazy city. And at the time in Vancouver, just to put it in context, you know, the uh, south of the border in the beautiful United States, the market value of pot was $3,800 US. And our Canadian dollar was worth about 65 cents. So you do the math. We were dealing in a commodity at the time that was worth more than gold. And I was growing sometimes two to three hundred pounds of, uh, you know, like between our group a week. 
you know, we were like, uh, so you do the math. Now, of course, there's a lot of hands in producing that kind of numbers and a lot of payoffs, and but we were making crazy amounts of money, and there was all of these other businesses that were offshoots. We had to tr we had to change our money because we were getting paid in the U.S. We had to flip our money into Canadian to pay our local gold growers because nobody could walk into a bank with a couple fucking grand in the U.S. without raising eyebrows. So we had to flip money, which we were able to make money from. We paid points. You know, we had our hands in everything. But I had this brilliant idea that I was going to like, you know what? I phoned up BlackBerry and I said, how do I make a fucking phone system that's 100% impenetrable? And at the time, BlackBerry still, I think to this day, nobody's ever broken into a BlackBerry system that's on a closed server. And I was able to purchase and set up a dummy company running a server um, and have 3,000 licenses for just under, well, it was 27,000 U.S., but when all was said and done, it was you know, closer to about 40 Canadian, which was peanuts to me. But we were selling, and so and here was the deal. If you wanted to do business with us, you have to buy a phone from us and work on our server. And so in no time at all, every single criminal group inside of this area had to be on this server because everybody bought into this idea that unless they were on this server, they weren't secure. And they were secure from the DEA and from everything else. What they weren't secure from was me because I was able to read all their messages. Right? So in no time at all, I was my three little partners and I, like, you know, there's three of us in this group. We had the keys to the safe. And we had all the keys to exchange, and we knew who was lying to us, and we knew who wasn't, and we had an enormous amount of hope in this city. And uh, see, I get excited now because here I'm getting like, you know, just thinking of the old days and the heyday. But the reality is, it was uh, they led me to where it was hell. But you know, these are the times where it was just like we would, we I would sit out in the sun on a deck overlooking the ocean. Um, by the boat below, and it was like, you know, I don't care if my kids are unhappy, my ex is, I'm not a good husband, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, I didn't care. I was so selfish, but I knew that, you know what, we had just, we were powerful. And that fed me from that, that amount of wealth fed me. And that's just, I think back to then how black my soul was, right? Like, and that's what it was. Like, I was a black, dark person. And, uh, you know, now I'm not. Now you know what I do now is it's like I spend time sponsoring guys in twelve steps um, recovery. Like I will put my time into spending with somebody without any monetary value um, at all, just to help him understand what steps are all about, right? And I will put my hand into like like what it's like to now. That was one of the questions I think that was like where I'm supposed to get to in this monologue. Um, uh, being qualified is, is that what it's like now. Well, what it's like now is that I've done a set of steps, and in this process of doing these steps, I have like learned the tools of recovery. But I also like it's amazing how these things work, which I do not know. I don't want to be preachier than carried away because you know, I know it can be like that because I get excited about I get more excited about the steps and about recovery than I think anything else, you know, along with my business. Get really excited about, but I get excited about the recovery the steps of recovery because you know what they do offer a solution. And what's so bizarre is that they're free. You just got to put the time in, and they're also you know what else is cool about them is that they actually um, they don't you know it's not about an education level. It's not it's a level playing field. Like anybody can do the steps, anybody can get the steps, anybody can get relief, 
Anybody can get a better life. It just depends on how hard you want to work. Uh, you know, and it's like a, it's simple. Like it's almost so bizarre that remember, like you know, when you're um, you were watching Christmas commercials when you're a kid, and it's like you want to buy this train set or this toy that you see that you know. I remember this rocket ship that had like flames coming out of it, or like the war, the GI Joes, and like they would be in battle, and there'd be like things blowing up, and you'd see your GI Joe running through this war scene, and then I'd get my GI Joe, and it would be like, well, you know, where's all the flipping debris, and where's the mortar shells, and where's the sound effects, and it was just this plastic GI Joe that I was supposed to use my imagination for. I was like, well, whatever, right? Oh, fucked out, I felt let down. Or I get that I want a certain kind of train set, and then my parents would buy me what they could afford, not what I wanted. And I'd be like, well, you know, what do you mean I gotta wind this thing up? I wanted the fucking electric model, you know? I was always never happy, I was always disappointed. And that's what I thought the steps were gonna be like. And like, here's the commercial. I see all these people that are happy and, you know, like, you know, that have done the steps and in this fellowship, but it's gonna be a letdown. And uh, that was like, you know what? I remember going in there and I remember like, taking a cake. And having this so crazy feeling inside of my heart, like feeling full, uh, like truly fulfilled, right? Uh, you know, of like just being full of like emotion, being, like happiness, being full of like gratitude, being full of like appreciation, uh, being like full, like be like having my family be proud of me, like just things that you can't buy with money. And I can remember feeling like. Like, this is the shit, man. Like, this is like, and all for what? I never go thinking of that. This is the commercial that I that I saw and that I bought into and I bought and I feel great. And I, like, it fulfilled, like, the steps have given me more than I could ever put into words. And they've given me more than I ever expected. Um, and I just want to clarify that I, like, my life has been better than it ever has been. But having said that, it's by far not perfect. Like I have dealt with issues of depression. Uh, last year, I was in a, um, you know, part of my process was to go. Like I was like I was lost for a couple of years after getting clean. Like I I was in a divorce. I, I went. You know, part of the reasons I went to recovery one to avoid extradition. Two to get my ex back and have a white picket fence with my kids. Um, three. To uh, you know, live with her and my wife and my wife picket fence, and to you know, go into a business and make tons of money. Well, none of those three things have really happened, right? I you know, I got into a business that was somewhat successful, but not really, you know, not really. I mean, I came out of it better than I was before, but you know, it wasn't the massive amount of riches that I thought. Um, it's tough to be in business when you don't have cash flow coming from an illegal drug industry, right? And that's why I always thought I would be. That's part of this quest I'm on now. It's like I want to prove to myself that I can be a good business person without having cash flow. I had to I have to prove this to myself that I can do this. For some reason, I need to prove this. And for some reason, um, that's the quest I've been on lately. But a lot with that quest comes a lot of fear. And in that fear, um, kind of came um, and before I decided I was gonna go on this this most recent business adventure, I didn't know what I was gonna do. And I felt really bad about myself that I'm, you know, approaching, you know, my mid forties, I'm in recovery, like um, I go to recovery meetings, I go, I hook in, I feel better when I'm there, but really I wake up in the morning feeling really scared and really lost and really depressed. And I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. 
I went into this uh, program. I, like I went to this local hospital for mental health, and I said, like, I need help. Like, I'm clean. I'm exercising. I'm eating really well. I'm, uh, I'm I take vitamins. I'm like, I like. There's nothing more I can do to be healthier and better. So why don't I feel better? You know, why am I, why do I feel, like, why am I mentally feeling, like, depressed? Why am I mentally lost? Why am I so sad sometimes? And, you know, um, their answer was, you know, let's put you into a, they call it rapid access group. And I went into this program where they were, they taught me about depression. They taught me about the signs of depression, some of the coping mechanisms to cope with depression. Because there are things that recovery didn't teach me. Right, and there are what we call outside issues, and those outside issues are people with certain kinds of mental health, like anxiety, was a big one too for me, right? Which I I had, and um, and still have, but I, I don't seem to have it much anymore. I don't know, maybe they don't give it much time, or I don't know, maybe it's phase. But I know that like since I've actually found this business, and uh, and it's been, although financially. Sometimes exhausted. It's been fun, and I've really felt like it's the first time I really did the business. The last one I was in was with somebody, and a partner, and uh, I think this is what I need to do: just do something by myself, and for me to build my self-esteem. And um, you know, and I'm like mid forties, right? And I mean, yeah, like uh, building my self-esteem is not something I think I should be doing in my mid forties, right? I think I should actually have it all together and be living in a condo. Um, it's over city and you know have a couple of motorbikes in my garage and a couple of boats and you know all the shit that I thought I you know that I used to actually have in this warehouse that my partners and I had filled to the brim canoes boats and stuff I never rode before I mean we had I had a couple of motorbikes I didn't even like I rode around the parking lot but I never actually put plates on and actually went on any road trips because I was too fucked up all the time you know like I never went on any family trips after I got to a certain point where I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I can't leave because it's like, I, you know, business is too important. But yet, uh, I would stop give my wife, you know, enough money to go, and they would go off and have memories of it. You know, like just fucking backward thinking, man. So fucked up. That cost me my marriage. You know, I'm divorced now and stuff, and that was hard too because I, and now, but now the funny thing is, is now I can't even imagine how I was ever even thought about being with this woman, right? Um, because maybe I've changed and she hasn't. I don't know. But um, I definitely know uh, what I believe is, is that God puts people in your life um, at certain times in your life, or you attract certain people into your life uh, at certain times. And, and uh, sometimes uh, then he takes them out, so they're like visitors, right? And um, maybe she's merely a visitor to the kids, right? I don't know. I think that, you know what? I gotta start wrapping this up because I've worked on here for a while. And uh, I don't even know how long it can happen, but um, you know, like where I'm at now is that like finding, I think it's been a long journey. This hasn't been like this has been seven years coming up next week that I am actually that's my community date. And uh, every year is like better than the last year. And, there, and I don't mean better in the fact that it's easier, because the challenges uh, are different every year. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost lucky that my clean dates around Christmas and the New Year's, and um, 
in recovery, we have what's called takes. For those of you that don't know, you take exercise. It's like not like your belly button birthday, it's your peanut birthday, right? So, and those takes are important because, um, you know, I'm able to look back and go, okay, like, what have I done last year? Have I kind of met goals? Have I, you know, grown last year as a person? And um, I can always look back and go, you know what? I'm maybe not exactly where I want to be or where I think I should be, but I am where I am and I have everything I need. And the bottom line is, is that I've got a connection to my kids. I'm a good father today, right? Like, my boys, uh, I don't live far from them. I don't live with them, but I'm connected to them. And, um, and I'm at a place in my life where they're getting older, and I'm able to now like, look at what I want to do with the next chapter of my life, because like, that chapter's not written yet, right? And um, like I've got a chance clean to really write the chapter I want to write and to be who I want to be. And like I've, even though I question this lately a lot, it's just like, you know, because I'm in the middle of a small business with so many wheels turning and I get cogged down and not doing the fun part of the business, but actually doing the operational part of the business. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. But I need to go through this to make it financially viable so that I hire somebody who does enjoy that, right? And um, and I'm getting there. And if I look back a year ago uh, to where I was, to where I am now, I've like had a phenomenal year. I really have had a phenomenal year. And if I look back the year before that, you know, that year was phenomenal too in its own different sort of ways. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that like since I've been clean, and since I, you know, and I believe this with all my heart, I think since I've done the twelve steps of recovery, whether you choose AA or NA or OE or SA or CA or whatever it is that you need to go to to find your way and to find out where you connect, I have been better and better and better uh, as a person and as an individual and every aspect of my life except financially but i think that that's been that's about to change as well because i've been spending my money i mean here's me whining right i've had money i've worked actually as a at a job for probably about three and a half four years now so i've been supporting myself on what i've made and i've been able to invest in a two companies um and this one now is like I made enough money this summer to go into to grow the business again, which I'm just about to open up a, a storefront, a really cool part of town, and um, I should be nothing but grateful, uh, and I am. But still, I'm like, you know, well, it hasn't, you know, I can always look at the like, oh, it's, it's that default switch of mine, right? That oh, well, it's still not, you know, quite financially viable, and like, really, who gives a fuck about money? Like, yes, it has to make money, and it will, but. You know what? What else is that? This business given me this journey. It's been giving me really my self-esteem. And since I found that, I have felt like you know I can deal with the depression because there was a while there back where I'm like I got clean and I'm feeling like depressed and I'm feeling like I'm doing everything I can to be well and I'm not. And maybe I'm just one of those people that's going to be Prozac up or and I'm no offense to anybody who is by the way. If that's what floats your boat and you can get well on that, um, great. I tried it and I was suicidal. Like I literally almost jumped off my patio. And I mean, I was dead serious on the phone with a friend of mine. So crazy after three days on an antidepressant that I was going to die. And um, I want something right now. I can't remember what it is. It's not Seroquel, but I can't remember what it is. But um, anyway, 
this is a generic name for it's not well featured I've done the trees too but um, and it's on like I take like five milligrams of this stuff and it's like and I don't even think it does anything to be honest I'm gonna have to come off it right away but the reality is is that um, you know that um, I needed that and you might too so recovery is not going to be the end all be all of solving all every single little issue in your life but while you're clean and while you hit the program uh, which is like for me is doing meetings and doing a 12 step having a sponsor having a support group doing some kind of service like a sponsor guys what we call it a sponsor and um, helping other guys that are new in recovery go through the 12 steps and explaining them uh, to these guys so they can actually you know learn the same kind of uh, tools that I've learned and then pass them on to another guy right uh, which is really why I like sponsoring guys I like to like, have grand sponsors and stuff right um, and I also um, believe that that's what's given me the ability to keep growing because if I got depressed in the past which I probably have been chronically depressed all my life I think that these periods if I think back now with some kind of areas of clarity I've probably gotten depressed all of these certain stages of my life because whether I was living in a, you know I mean I remember living in this place called Whistler right and I was up there and it was in, I went up there for a geographical change right then I thought I was going to be better you know blah 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 and uh you know kind of long story short within no time I started a, you know, a pizza And then I bought a cab. And we were running, uh, we were bootlegging because the, the local liquor store was government run and it closed at 6 p.m. And we're in this like phenomenal ski resort, like one of the best ski resorts in the world. And there, you couldn't get booze after 6 p.m. I mean, of the size what was, what was in the bar. The bar, the place was dry. And I'm like, call me crazy, but you know, and so there was this cab for sale, right? You could buy a private cab, you'd buy a license in a shit car. So I, Ended up, uh, yeah, within a year or so, I three of these things on the road, and I was bootlegging booze, you know, and and, uh, and to my moral justification, I got pushed out of this town because I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't go into the market with women, right? I wouldn't get into prostitution, and and I got pushed out by by a bigger group, and that group they were going to make money from running gambling at the at the at, the, uh, at one of their booze cans, and offering in terms of services of women, whether they wanted to or not. They wanted to run some escort business. I didn't I couldn't do it. And um, you know, so here I'm this big moral guy, right? You know, trying to pretend that I'm like it. I've got morals, right? But yet the dope I'm selling to people in the city is ending up with kids and women up, you know. But it's funny how you try to justify things in that business, right? I don't do that anymore. Now have to like you know I, I'm able to look at my daily practices and say okay was I justifying that was I rationalizing what was I doing today that I could do better you know and um, that's called we call that a step 10 right you know the steps are beautiful man so if you're listening to this whether you're male female gay straight or whatever you are um, transgender as once you did that a little while ago. He asked me how to do the steps and wanted to become a woman. And I was like, wow, that's bizarre. Then he did. He started to become like, you know, and now it's, you know, now he's got a different name. And I saw this guy go through this change to a woman. And I mean, I would have been freaked out before the steps and gone, 
this is crazy, but it's them to be open-minded and to, uh, you know, accept people for what they are, right? And, and to really not make any judgments about people or try to put myself, this is the CPL I was talking about earlier, this chronic perspective loss, right? And that's like, yeah, I need my perspective changed because I lose it all the time. And I need it to be, like, have the steps to go, hey, you know what? They need to have recovery just like me because who knows who they're going to come across and they can help. And uh, that's the beautiful thing about recovery. So if you were listening to this because you just came across this somehow uh, through law of attraction or whatever, you're looking for somebody just to be related to, I don't know if anything I've said you will relate to. I don't know that. However, maybe you're interested enough to keep listening and didn't shut me off, and you are going to hear this. And what I'm going to tell you is, is that no matter what I did, whether it was psychiatrists or psychologists or, you know, no matter what I did, I mean, other drug therapies, I mean, nothing worked. But what did work for me was doing the 12 steps and joining a fellowship. And um, I have seven years clean because of that. And I don't know, just for today, I know I'm going to have, uh, you know, I'm going to hit that seven-year mark, right? And I don't know how much longer that'll work for me. But here's what I do know. I'm taught to do it just for the day. I'm taught to do it one day at a time. And that has gotten me seven years clean and sober. And um, to live a really good life, and I mean by a good life, the fact that I'm not doing damage to anybody else in my life that I know of, and that I'm there and emotionally available for people that care, and that I need to be there for like my kids, and like my mom, and my dad, and, uh, and my employees. And, um, and I'm excited about the future because I've got a great opportunity to do something really cool that I believe is going to help the world um, change. And I believe that in my heart, and I found a really cool way to do it that I'm able to do it. At, and I believe solely in my heart that I'm at this place in time because of recovery and using 12 steps with all my heart. So it ain't easy, but do it and you try it. Like, at least fucking try it because you really um, take a break from yourself and. Do it, like, you know, and if you do it, here's what I was told. If you do it once straight up, you'll never have to use it again. You'll, you'll lose the obsession to use drugs. And that's what we are promised in our literature, and that's what's happened to me. And so, no matter what else I've said and whatever else I've gained, that is the one thing you will get. That if you do the steps straight up, you don't have to use ever again, and you'll lose that obsession, which is constantly on our backs when we're uh, in recovery. So with that, my friends, wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, um, I love you all, and because uh, that's all I've got to give you on my words and my love. And hopefully this helps you in some strange way. I know it helped me. Anyway, I love you, and good night. Bye. You have been listening to Qualified. Qualified is not affiliated with any recovery program. All organizations, institutions, books, people, places, things, and opinions expressed by each guest are entirely their own, part of their own journey of recovery, and not intended as medical advice. 
qualified as self-supporting based on our own contributions and those of listeners. If you would like to donate to Qualified, please write us at qualifiedpodcast at gmail.com. Qualified will never make a profit. All contributions go toward the production of the show, with any extra monies being donated to a pool of recovery-based organizations as suggested by each guest. If you have a story of recovery and you would like to be a guest on Qualified, please write us at qualifiedpodcast at gmail.com. If you are suffering from an addiction, there is help for you and there is hope for you. We on this podcast are living proof. Thank you for listening.